Thanks for joining us for Season 6, The Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as The Finance Guy. I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as The Restaurant Guy. And thanks for that kind introduction, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind Branded Strategic Hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, capital, and may I dare add, food service. Jimmy, food whoa, service. Whoa. Man, oh, I didn't there. get that memo. I didn't get that memo. Yeah, no, we, <laughs> I, we, we added that in. Then we took it out. I'm putting it back in. Hey, listen, we had a great show today. Super, super excited. Uh, you know what? Jimmy, today we have a big day, a big couple of days, actually, in Vegas. We're going to be spending our day at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Jimmy, your favorite venue because it's small. Yes. It's small and charming, yeah. and it's a little venue, and it's easy to get around yeah. and navigate. I got my Fitbit. I got my Fitbit yeah. on. I'm going to see how I can bang out 20,000 steps. At least seven miles today, but with the Restaurant yes. and Bar <laughs> Expo, uh, I think it was I think it used to be known as the uh, the Bar and Restaurant what, what was it? Use it. I forget. It was something else. But now it's it's the expo. It's I, thought it was a, I thought nightclub was nightclub. Right, it was, it was a nightclub night show. Yes. It was the nightclub show. Yes. Now it's the bar and restaurant expo and the pizza show, Jimmy, and the pizza show. So Jimmy, we're gonna be walking and eating a lot of pizza, and it's a lot of fun. So we got a big a big couple of days ahead of us. So let's jump into the podcast because we got a great guest, and I got to tell you, I think one of the most interesting, charismatic guests of all time on the show today, Jimmy. I have to agree with you. I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm a little starstruck because I'm a huge fan. I'm an avid reader of this, of our guest, Mr. Danny Klein's work. So we're very happy I just happy look at the today. pictures, Jimmy. I don't do a lot of the reading, but I look at the pictures. Great pictures. I, I The great pictures, but I also, I, I'm a religious reader of his stuff. Uh, we are very excited today to have our friend, Mr. Danny Klein, editorial director at Food News Media publisher of FSR and QSR magazines. Um, yeah, I, very excited I, are, to have you. We still get hard copies, by the way. We're not just online. We're old school. We get hard copies, baby. Yes, yes, we do. So, Danny, we're going to let you take the lead. Please give us a little introduction on yourself, a little background, you know, and your elevator pitch on uh, on Food News Media, please. Well, first of all, I don't even know what to say about that introduction <laughs> other than, uh, you know, thank you. Um you know, starstruck is definitely not something I, I think anybody has ever said when they met me. Your um, wife definitely says that. Your wife said <laughs> that when she met you. I know she did. Yeah, uh, she, so we actually met when I was uh, I was writing about Florida Gator basketball when I was in college, and she was a PR. You were an athlete. You were an athlete. <laughs> I was not playing basketball. Let's not get crazy here. You were no, close. <laughs> you were close. You were close to playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about as far away. But uh, she was a PR. Um, person who was handing out kind of statistics to the uh, journalists. And that's kind of how we met. So I don't know if she was starstruck. I, the only time I was ever starstruck in my journalism career was when I met Michael Jordan um, many years ago at a draft combine. And I went up to Who? Who's that? Huh? Huh? Michael Jordan. The actor? No, oh. no, no, come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm kidding. But he asked, so he actually said to me when I, uh, I asked him for an interview, I want to talk to him about something that it had nothing to do with what I was writing about, but I figured I'd take advantage of him being there. And he told me to go ask his agent if I needed an autograph. And that was the end of our discussion. <laughs> um, well, he's, a, he's a busy man playing basketball, golfing, and all that kind of stuff, making sneakers. Yeah, to be fair, I was like 20 years old, so I didn't look, I guess, like someone <laughs> he felt he should talk to. But anyway, so yes, in terms of what I do, you mentioned food news media. Thank you for getting the hard copies. We definitely still do that. 
Uh, we write about quick service restaurants for QSR, full service restaurants for FSR, as the names would suggest. And we cover pretty much anything for, you know, restaurant operators, how to run a restaurant. And um, we're also, you know, keeping track of the news on the day-to-day with our e-letters. And the important thing to mention here is also that everything is free. Um, our magazines are free. Subscribers, if you're an industry professional, our e-letters are free. We don't have paywalls on any of our content. So we're really here to help people run their restaurants. You know, that's been kind of the day one goal. That's, that's, that sounds like our business model. We just give it away. Yeah, Jimmy. They, you know how they make money, Jimmy? Volume. Volume. <laughs> they ship so many copies of FSR out there, they make money. Yeah, a complicated uh, thing there. But They might have an advertising uh, business line. They might have uh, a advertising, Jimmy. Uh, hey, listen, Danny, before we get into a really deep dive into food news media, because there's a lot there. There's a lot to talk about, everything you do for the industry, and boy, we do appreciate it. Let's take a deeper dive into how you got started. Uh, you, you, you briefly told us a little bit. You met your wife in Florida. You were in college. You were playing basketball and writing. You were a big <laughs> athlete. You were also a writer uh, on, the, on the newspaper for sports. Um, but you also, um, I think you worked at a stadium, a local favorite of ours here in New York City. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And how that took you from sports to food service? Yeah, so my, my very first internship was at Madison Square Garden as a website producer. Uh, my, I guess my sophomore year of college. But that was entirely the fact that my dad knew somebody and he hooked me up. <laughs> but yeah, I wanted That's to. That's okay. The only reason I'm here is because my dad knew somebody. <laughs> yeah, your dad knew me. I actually was terrible at that, uh, that internship. Yeah, was... my dad knew Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so, I mean, I wanted to be a sports writer at that point, Um, went to college, kind of took that track, you know, got a job out of college doing that at a small newspaper in Florida, writing high school sports, ended up doing that for, you know, close to a decade. And um, really what ended up happening was I, I kind of was looking around at me at the landscape of the newspaper industry as a whole. And a lot of people that I had known for years that I worked with and the same company in the newsroom that I were in who were getting laid off in the, and it was always the same reason they were getting laid off, which was just that they were older. So I thought to myself, I'm basically working my way up to get fired someday. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I started looking at something else to do. Um, and Wait, I, how old were you at this point? Uh, 26. Seven, eight, something like that. I, I, I mean, you, you got to think you had at least a good 20 years before <laughs> I, that was you know, good. I don't, I don't know about, well, I don't know if I had 20 years. I probably had something like 10. But I, the thing was, I was part of a department where they were laying off the entire department to get it um, outsourced in Texas. And so they ended up giving me a different job, you know, said, okay, well, we don't want to lose you. Here's a, somebody else's job we're laying off. And during that period of time that I thought I was getting laid off, I also started looking into jobs a lot quicker than I was before. And my wife actually uh, found this current role. And I had no idea what food news media was, uh, knew nothing about restaurants beyond eating at them. And I applied and, you know, I somehow got that job working at FSR magazine to start. Um, And, you know, I always kind of, 
tell people the first few months was were very scary. I actually legitimately cried myself to sleep the first night. So <laughs> wait, I, so when you went in for a job interview, you're writing sports, you're going to work for food, full service restaurant magazine. What they asked you that got the job that got you the job? You're like, I love sports. You're hired. We do restaurants. Jazzy, Jazzy, he showed up. Yeah, you're the only person to apply. We actually, I mean, we actually had a lot of applicants, but my uh, my uh, publisher at the time said to me that he had never met. This is during the interview. He'd never met a sports writer that he liked, and I told him me either. Um, <laughs> See, it charmed you, charmed your way to get that guy that job. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I had a lot of experience. I had been working in journalism for 10 years. So our editor at the time, Connie Gentry, you know, I guess she just thought I could translate over. Um, you know, I don't really know why she hired me. That's not, thankfully. Well, Connie, Connie, well, we're going to reach out to you later and, and, and do it. This is, we're going to do, this is uh, Danny's life moment. And gonna, Connie, going to, it's actually a surprise. Connie's calling in right now. We have Connie. This is on. your life, Danny Klein. Here we go. <laughs> Right. Hello, hello, <laughs> Danny. Is that you? <laughs> I mean, I'm very thankful she did because I mean the. So yeah, like I said, it, it was terrifying at first because my very first story I was given was on the, the growth of restaurant groups. Um, you know what fuels that, and I was interviewing Matchbox and a lot of these brands who had, you know, just these these long tenured grizzled type of veterans running them. And I'm trying to basically figure out what in the world I'm asking them. And so she's throwing me right into the fire. Um, but you know, what I kind of figured out, honestly, you know, relatively quickly was that the restaurant industry actually draws some parallels to the sports world in the fact that you have to be a little bit crazy to be involved in it. So, you know, your chance, your chance of making it in either of those things is very low, you know, for very different reasons. But in talking to people, you know, about, you know, why did you do that? There are a lot of similar stories in terms of it usually was a passion project at the beginning. Um, it's funny you mentioned that, Danny. One of the I, I was with the CEO of Italy, uh, Mr. Adam Saper, and he said that he that was a passion project, and 13 years later, and a monstrosity. And he said, eh, "It's part of this passion product project." Listen, I want to ask right. you. Um, we love having media experts um, on the podcast because unlike our other guests who always have a personal connection, you know, to their restaurant or their company, you know, as a journalist, you have a 30,000 foot view of the industry. You are constantly engaged with all these voices that, are, that we think are, you know, worth hearing from. Can you share your perspective on the current state of the industry? Yeah, well, so I will say this is something over the last about three weeks I've really started to realize, and it kind of ties into what we call earnings season around here, you know, these quarterly reports that come up every three months. Is there, you know, COVID has always been a very divergent conversation. I think that's what separates it from, you know, like the Great Recession and other periods and restaurant downturns over, you know, the history is that you have two very different things happening right now. And so there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of days about sort of revitalizing some of the funding for restaurants and independents and mom and pops needed. And, you know, they're really struggling to kind of get back on their feet and, you know, rightfully so. And the recovery for them is going to be, you know, years in the making. And there's a lot of people in that sector who decided to, you know, leave who won't, you know, be interested in coming back, 
you know, or people who are in that sector who really now, you know, are not going to be able to grow for some time. A lot of and, operators, I think, went to sports. <laughs> yeah. Easier ones, yeah. They're like, you know what? This is way too hard. I'm going to sports. I know I could do that. Hey, the ES- right. ESPN needs writers for the Ocho. ESPN Ocho. Yeah. But to that point, the exact opposite is happening on the other side because you know we were just talking to um, someone from yesterday from We Sell Restaurants, which you know is a company that really specializes in you know the buying and selling of restaurants, as you might imagine. And the quick service space has become one of the hottest retail sectors in the, all of the country in terms of trying to get in right now and grow. So you have, you know, KFC is net unit positive for the first time in 17 years. Chipotle is adding a thousand restaurants. Wingstop is adding a thousand to, you know, previous guidance of what they thought they can open across the country. Um, Yum opened more restaurants last year than essentially any restaurant company in the history of restaurants. So. You know, the state of things right now is you have one side who I think is going to be on basically the precipice of embarking on what might be the greatest growth stretch that they've had in probably 30 years versus another side that's going to be a lot slower to adapt. And so, you know, you don't, a lot of people may not want to kind of acknowledge this or say it out loud, but there's an era of chain restaurants that is sort of, you know, waiting right now to, I think, sort of take in you know, share across the sector. And a lot of that is big chain restaurants too, but it is also those mid-sized guys, especially in full service and some of those brunch segments that are also growing and taking some of those spaces that have been vacated by a lot of those closures. Yeah. I got to tell you, it really is very interesting what you just said about all the growth. Um, you know, the, the, the pandemic needs to say uh, hit the restaurant industry really, really hard. But now you're starting to see, as you just mentioned, all these um, multi-unit franchise, uh, fast casual, et cetera, in this full growth mode. So what what about the the single store mom pops? Is that that something that, is that just going to go away? Are we just going to see the end of these unique mom pop operations or are they going to hang well, on? I don't, I don't think it'll go away because I think the, and I think this is going to recalibrate itself because the consumer, you know, is going to want that. And it's going to eventually become to a point where similar to how fast casual became so popular so quickly is that it answered a consumer demand. So I think that will come. The, the thing is, I think it's going to be, you know, maybe three to five years behind the quick service growth right now. But I think they're going to stay. I just think what's going to end up happening is that a lot of those spaces are going to end up turning not into just like an Arby's, but they're going to turn now into, you know, because you have a lot of, you know, 4,500 square foot restaurants that, you know, no one really wants to open anymore. However, a quick service brand could go and look at that and they could put four concepts in there now and they could do it completely virtually or they could do a drive through with multiple brands. They could do ghost kitchen setups. So, I think the mom and pops right now are going to be the ones who get a little bit, you know, left in the dust in terms of the overall growth, but they're going to remain, you know, very popular and and very, you know, for those who can hang on, I think they're going to do very, very well. And then we're going to see sort of a resurgence in their growth once things, you know, get back to normal. But I do think we're looking in the near term at a quick service fueled conversation as they, you know, snatch up the opportunities at hand because they're so far ahead from a technology perspective. And also, you know, if you go back to mid 2020, 
um, you know, a lot of them were, ta- especially the public brands were taking, you know, they were hoarding cash at the time to essentially say, okay, we're going to put this liquidity down so that in case we have to get through COVID. But then once it turned out that they were actually doing better than they were, you know, pre-COVID, now they just have tons of money. They're flush with funds to grow. You know, Shake Shack is one of those. Yum is clearly one of those that they've got all this money on hand now to actually go and scale up despite all the challenges and supply and how long it takes to order things, whereas mom and pops can't. I just, that certainly, I, that, that doesn't help our case for that restaurant relief uh, program, yeah, does it? Uh, I mean, I think <laughs> that that's, that's going to be tough because of this fact. Um, now, with that said, you know, it's a completely valid conversation for the people who are pushing it. Those brands do need help, you know, and they deserve it because they've been the tip of the spear since the beginning of all of this. However, you know, it, it is... If it does happen again, they need to set it up in a way to avoid what happened last time, (laughs) you know, in terms of who gets it and who's eligible for it. You know, they kind of tried to do that last time, and then it ended up coming out a little bit discriminatory and all these things, and they were getting sued. So it was a little, all those things make me think it'll probably not happen again, but, um, you know, I hope it does. It's just that it seems unlikely to me at this point. I guess, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, um, I think, I want to tell all independent operators out there that if you can just get on Shatsy's good side, his family can single-handedly support uh, another half a dozen or so independent restaurants. Shatsy and his family you, really can can handle it. Listen, Danny, I want to I want to let you in on a little secret about, uh, and it's 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 not a, it's not such a secret because uh, when Shatsy and I uh, we like to play kind of a, a faux drinking game, um, you know, little background. We go to trade shows, we go to conferences, we'll sit at the table, we sit in the general session, and we'll pick a topic, a hot topic. And anytime the speaker mentions that word, the topic that we we shared with our table, we got the table doing basically fake uh, shots of of that fictitious uh, you know, air shots, I guess I would say. Two years ago, the key word was delivery. This past year, it was and maybe to some extent still is labor. If we were to play this game in your newsroom, what is the one trend you are hearing so often that you're emptying this imaginary bottle in these air shots. Every, everyone's everyone's drunk. Yeah, um, <laughs> I would say game. virtual brands. Um, that's probably number one. Uh, yeah, it's, that is the correct answer, sir. <laughs> I'll take an air shot. That is the correct answer. Especially virtual wing chains. Although that has slowed down a little bit lately. There was a period there, though, where in terms of us trying to keep track of who is introducing a virtual brand. It was just outrageously out of control. Um, and I get why it was happening. Of course, kitchen capacity and just the fact that everyone wanted to get involved there. But um, but yeah, that's one I think we would be all uh, unconscious right now. If, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I agree with you on that. So let's just change gears just a touch. So we just touched on the rise of virtual ghost kitchens, whatever you want to call it. There's so many names out there for it. But automation, robotics, restaurants today are very different than it was when uh, I was growing up back in the early uh, 1920s and 30s, uh, where there were automats. But what are your thoughts on the restaurant of the future? Are we going to go into an age of robotics and digitation digitization, I should say, where, I mean, literally Rosie, the robot from the Jetsons is bringing me out food. Is that what, or, or a guest going to be able to have that old fashioned human touch hospitality where you get to sit and talk to the server, talk to the bartender. What are your thoughts? Where are we going? So I think, I think the answer is that you're going to have both because 
I think the full service restaurants are are pretty cognizant of the fact that that's what people want from them right now because it's such the opposite in the quick service world. But um, with that said, I think robotics and automation and all the things you mentioned there are going to become only more important in quick service because I think what we kind of learned is it that hospitality thing that you mentioned there? Was anyone going to quick service for that? Mostly the answer is Jimmy, no. Jimmy, oh, Jimmy always. That's He loved, he loved the table touching that he got at McDonald's. He loved it. I'm very chatty, very chatty with the cashier. Very chatty. Very chatty at the register. I think the more automation, the better in fast food. And I think that they understand that from two different angles. One, I think the customer wants it. You know, the more mobile ordering ahead to pick up without talking to anyone, the better. But also, you know, I just think that before COVID, the ROI on whether or not you wanted to go get, you know, a robot in your restaurant was didn't make a lot of sense. However, that's changed now because labor has become so expensive and what you have to pay somebody per hour or what you're taking to recruit somebody, you know, how much the cost of the turnover is with all these things going on. And now suddenly, you know, White Castle adding 100, you know, fry cooking robots into their restaurant makes a lot more sense because, A, you don't have to hire someone, but also the people that you do have on staff, you know, you're not asking them to dip fries and do these kind of tasks that, you know, no one wants to do. Because as someone said to me several months ago is that they were competing now with, you know, the same wages for somebody who'd go just, you know, tape up boxes at Amazon. And would you rather tape up boxes at Amazon with your AirPods on or would you rather dip, you know, stuff in oil at a quick service restaurant? So I think the back of the house, um, the more automation that they can get in there, the better chance they have to create jobs that people actually want, especially younger people. And I think the guest wants as little friction as possible and as little interaction as possible, especially younger people. All right, Dan Pine. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, smartest guest we've ever had. Sterling, eat your heart out. Um, we, we got Danny Klein going long rosy on this one. That's right here. I go long rosy, uh, short uh, Joe the plumber. Um, listen, um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Continuing. Uh, I don't either, but Joe the plumber sounds funny, baby. <laughs> continuing this conversation. Um, and this isn't the first time I've said this, but I love it when we can bring up the debate on whether Domino's is a technology company that serves pizza or a pizza company that is tech forward. Uh, our understanding is that 50 percent of Domino's corporate employees are in fact engineers. So, Mr. Klein, uh, do you care to uh, uh, step into this debate? Which side of the this aisle? This is one of their largest advertisers, sure, Jimmy. Probably, I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> which which side of the aisle are you on? Are they a tech company or a, or a pizza company that's, te- that's tech forward? I certainly don't know if it's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, thank, I try to stay out of that because obviously I don't want to know. But um, <laughs> So we actually, years ago, uh, maybe three, four years ago, we had a, they were hosting an event at their headquarters and we sent somebody um, and they, they came back with that statistic. Um, and so in her view, her opinion of what she saw and how they talked about it was that they were a tech company that serves pizza. Uh, now, to be fair to them, I don't think that that's a negative thing. I think if you look at their two biggest competitors, you know, tech has become essential to what they're doing. You know, I know Papa John's has become pretty menu innovation centric and they were always, you know, kind of ingredient centric in terms of how they wanted to separate from the pack. But, you know, like, you know, Pizza Hut now is, is, are doing these hut lanes where you pick up your pizza through a pickup window and it's mobile order ahead. 
So, you know, I think Domino's, if they heard that, you know, and you were talking industry to industry person, I think they would embrace you saying that. Now, they may not want the consumer to say that, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think that they would deny that that is, in fact, who they are. I just don't know that they're pushing that message forward into I, the world. I heard <laughs> Domino's is coming out with a new phone to compete with <laughs> Apple. Is this true? Is this true? Yes or no? Is Domino's coming out with a new phone? Look, I would buy it if they did. <laughs> Um, in the shape of a slice of pizza (laughs) hey listen listen we played the drinking game and you said virtual was the winner of our drinking i think i think there's another trend well ghost virtual right i see another trend we're seeing is that we could if we added another have another drinking game we could say curbside hello is there something we're hearing right now all i'm hearing curbside curbside I think consumers recognize that ordering and getting delivery is expensive. They started having to pay for it. Not the restaurant wasn't paying the full freight. Now the consumer was paying. So they started going to curbside. So many brands continue to expand on this. What are your thoughts? Is pickup and curbside going to continue to grow? And is that going to continue to chip away at delivery? Or are we going to just see a little bit of both? What do you think? So I think I think in quick service, I think the era of quick or curbside is going to come down a little bit because I think it's not a labor friendly model. I actually heard Wendy's talk about this yesterday or two days ago. And, you know, what I think is going to happen there is they're going to move away from curbside into pickup, um, you know, the ability to walk in and grab it off a shelf. You know, KFC, everybody's doing this, Chipotle. So I do think that they're going to eventually phase out that technology a little bit for people. Um, however, I think on the full service side, I think it's going to become even more so the case because it helps sort of uh, cut the gap a little bit with drive through. I think the now curbside and to your point about delivery, though, curbside and the ability to pick up for the consumer, you know, one thing that they tapped during COVID and one reason why it's becoming still so important is because of the cost friendly nature of it. And then on the uh, quick service side, it's the reason why so many brands in the fast casual space are adding pickup windows now because they want that margin friendly transaction and they want you to go push you toward that funnel instead of having you do delivery where they're raising prices to a point that's not exactly to dissuade you from doing so it's to balance it but it's also to get you to go get curbside or to come get it at inside the restaurant so i think curbside is a permanent part of the restaurant world now coming out of covid but i do think that brands are going to work you know from an incentive angle to get you to actually come out of the car and walk in and get it as we move forward um now with that said there are brands who have parking spots for it and that's not going to change taco bell and things like that but that's just a guess by the way i don't uh <laughs> I, I don't know Jesse, i think i think i think there's a there's you know there's there's a role for somebody to kind of compete with these shelves I, I if only we knew of such a magical uh technology or innovation that could do it Minopod. This segment is sponsored by Minopod. Okay, listen. Lastly, before we move on, uh, there is something you mentioned uh, earlier that really struck with me, and that is that you know most uh, of what you know and ascertain about the industry is kind of you know information and insights you garner from you know the very operators and tech companies that are you know pitching you, talking about what's going on from the trenches. So I may be asking you to pick a favorite child here, um, but who has been 
your favorite brand or CEO, and maybe a couple of you, if you're comfortable sharing, that you think you've learned the most from or who you have turned to as your primary source of industry insights and information? And I, you cannot say me. You cannot say me, Danny. Shatsy is off this table. <laughs> I'll mention a few. Anybody people. but me. Um, on the consultant side, I really like Aaron Allen. I think he's a great guy in addition to being incredibly insightful. And he does his own research, which I think is really separates him from some other people. I also like Gary Stiebel over there in New England. And there's, and there's just, and, you know, and that's not to mention anyone I've talked to there has always been great. I don't want to leave people out, but uh, but on the restaurant side, I mean, I think that you know, so Bennigan CEO Paul, I can't really pronounce his last name. It's, you know, it's he's a good New I think York. It's Bennigan, isn't it? <laughs> it's like Matt Manja something I can't pronounce, but he's a good New York guy. With you know, we always have great conversations. You know, I really like Carl Howard at Fazoli's. I like, um, I mean, look, I mean, pretty much. You know, these are just kind of people I've been talking to recently or are coming to mind. But I, there are so many people in this industry that are really, you know, great to talk to. You know, Paul over another broken egg is someone who I've talked to a lot over the years. Um, James O'Reilly at Smoky Bones. Nice. You know, we recently did a webinar, so I, you know, I had tapped kind of a lot of people, you know, who I do talk to, and you know, they were able to show up. You know, Ricky. From Eggs Up Grill, former TGI Fridays. You know, I really like all the people at Pizza Hut who I talked to recently. Um, look, I could guys, I could go on for. By the way, to be honest, we, we um, just went through the uh, the Danny Klein Wall of Fame, and for every person that was mentioned, you could have a free copy of uh, of FSR magazine, uh, the hard copy. We're going to give it to you, and Danny is going to autograph it. Although Shatsy will. Uh, just sign on behalf of Danny and pretend it was. Yes, I have. I have. Uh, I think that's uh, what is that called, uh, Jimmy? When the attorney gives me. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. You have. Uh, you have his. Uh, you have his proxy. Or uh, uh, all right, we'll figure it out later. Listen. Um, <laughs> Moving on, it turns out while we started this podcast, because we love talking to people and asking the questions, we learned along the way that sometimes our guests have questions for us. So let's kick off our talking back. We invite you to take the microphone, ask us a question. Nothing's off the table. Danny, the microphone is yours, my friend. All right. Um, by the way, um, if I did not mention you there, I, it's not be, I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. We removed ourselves from that consideration. I and, didn't uh, mean you guys. I, I, he doesn't mean he means he left some people out. Oh. I mean, Danny, you could go down the list. You could mention every single yeah, operator in the world. I know. That would have taken me forever, but uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So we have limited time. I was mostly time. Li just listing people I've talked to in the last two weeks. Um, this morning, these are the people we put to this morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and and as you've probably seen, you know, I, this industry has been pretty cool in terms of, you know, when I had my second child, I've, the amount of fast food outfits that I have is just out of control right now. <laughs> um, so the people who have sent me things from White Castle to Wendy's, you know, uh, just have appreciated it. But anyway, question, so I guess the question I could have for you, I'll sort of switch gears from what I had kind of originally thought, but I, I would ask you that same question about taking a shot. And you're not allowed to use virtual brands, obviously, since I did. Um, and I guess you can't use curbside either since we talked about that. But beyond those two things, ah, you know, what is the one thing right now and in, in all the interviews you've been doing through podcasts that you just keep hearing, you know, over and over? Shatsy, I like it. You want to you take a stab at this, my friend? 
Yeah, sure. I think that uh, you know, outside of the the, the curbside, uh, the virtual, I think that we are seeing a big push now for a, a lot more interest that I've ever seen before in back of the house operations, not so much on automation uh, or robotics, but on just procurement Ooh. and inventory Ooh. and purchasing. An area that's kind of like been left behind, it's still done the old fashioned way. You're using clipboards, you're, you're calling the vendor. It's very inefficient. It's wasting time on the distribution side. They have the call centers. It's wasting time on the ordering side. And a lot of that could be automated. You know, I laugh with Jimmy. I said, and Jimmy's background outside of being in restaurants and a bartender uh, was always in finance. And he, I, we laughed that in restaurants to this day, a tr- I can't tell you that a high percentage, let's say 75% of restaurants are still printing out checks, writing checks, signing checks, and mailing them to their vendors every week. I mean, that's still, and if you look at other industries, they got away with check, away from checks a long time ago. So I look at the whole procurement and the purchasing and payments in the back of the house is an area that I see a lot of excitement towards a lot of interest now more than ever. Uh, if that uh, if that makes sense, Shatsi, actually, I respect that answer, and I want to say I I actually completely agree with you. I will just add one what? other. What? Uh, I'm going to add something that's not even as good as your answer, but I'll tell you something that I'm leaning in on, and I don't know if it's going to win any uh, fake drinking contest uh, or air shots, but I come from a, an industry or industries where data and analytics. Uh, are just critically important with respect to decision-making throughout the ecosystem of, of an operator, venue, or brand. And I continue to believe that that is a space that is um, somewhat antiquated or is still left um, relatively, uh, uh, is being overlooked by all those other words, that are the delivery and the curbside and the virtual. At the end of the day, how are people making decisions? Uh, Brandon has actually leaned in heavily and made data and analytics one of our core four verticals that we are investing in, we are working with, because we believe that that is the difference between, you know, informed decisions uh, and otherwise. So uh, Shatsi gave uh, procurement and purchasing supply side, which I think are all great. I'm throwing in data and analytics. And next year at the conferences, uh, we'll, we'll watch and see if any of those words come up and and get us uh, air, you know, air drunk on the air shots. Yeah, on the air, air drunk on the air shots. Well, great question and great stuff. Let's get into a great new segment, okay? We always say, Daniel will appreciate this, that hospitality is very slow to embrace technology. We laugh that the only industry slower is coal mining. And maybe with fracking, maybe they're actually a little bit ahead of hospitality. But then we did some research. We've done some research, and we found out that hospitality is not quite as slow to embrace technology as we thought it was. They're actually sometimes way ahead of the curve. So I am going to play a game with you called Which Came First? Are you ready? Yes, I think. <laughs> All right. Which came first, the vending machine or the bank ATM? I'm going to say the vending machine. Jimmy, would you care to weigh in man, on this? man. I didn't get the question in advance. I couldn't Google it. I got to answer honestly. I'm going with I'm going with the bank. I'm going with the bank machine because I want to I want to show that that we are antiquated and we are behind. And I, and I keep losing because it keeps turning out that the industry is not as behind as I thought. But I'm going bank machine. 
Well, this is really interesting because Danny Klein, as we know, is the smartest guy in the room right now. The vending machine was actually invented in 1884. William Henry Fruin of Minneapolis patented his automatic liquid drawing device. And I got to tell you, he was dispensing, dispensing mineral water with a deposit of a coin back in 1884. It wasn't until 1969 that a small bank called Chemical Bank, Jimmy, you may remember Chemical Bank, in Rockville Center came up with the ATM, the automated teller machine. So you're saying I was about 80 years off, uh, only about 80. 80 years, <laughs> but I got to be honest, there you go. So in our food service, we were dispensing liquids in 1884. Unbelievable, Jimmy. Great information there, huh? All right. I like it. I got to tell you. All right. Our crystal ball moment. A chance where you can let our guests put their Kreskin and Miss Cleo hat on and predict the future. Danny, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now in relation to the hospitality and technology industry? Dining two years out, hospitality and tech. Uh, well, I guess I kind of touched on this a little bit before, but I think because we're going to have way more quick service restaurants, we're going to have a lot more automation and a lot more of everything that could be done on your telephone. So that's kind of where I look at that. I think the, um, you know, the connectivity between being able to order, pay, queue in line, wait list, reservations, pretty much any sort of mobile uh, technology is going to become ever present. Um, whether that's even the rewards, loyalty, et cetera, because you're going to have more and more quick service restaurants across the country. And the phone from Domino's. And <laughs> the pizza-shaped pizza. phone from Domino's. We will be coming. Am I am I right? Two years, we will see that. I mean, literally, we'll displace the iPhone and Android, and Domino's <laughs> will be the dominant player in the phone. I mean, Little Caesars has a vending machine, so. <laughs> All right, listen. Uh, let's go to the branded quick fire, Danny, because I know you got to get back to writing articles. So I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions, okay? Don't think too hard. Don't think too long. Are you ready? Yep. <laughs> Don't be so enthusiastic, by the way. That's yep. just, that's just how can I, I sound. That's can like, I leave now, please? <laughs> People who know me know I just don't sound enthusiastic, but I actually am. Inside, you're going crazy. <laughs> New York or North Carolina? Well, I live in North Carolina now, so that's an easy one. And Good I answer. ran away from New York, so that's also an easy one. <laughs> well, your mom is still here. Don't forget your mom, okay? Where are you getting dinner from tonight? My house uh, have a, you know, a three-year-old and a two-month-old, so I don't get dinner anywhere that's not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite food city in the world? Uh, Savannah, Georgia. Ooh, that's a first. That is a first, Jimmy. Where is your favorite place to travel? Savannah, Georgia. So that's actually also Savannah, <laughs> Georgia, because, uh, yeah, I lived in Jacksonville, Florida for a while, so it was always a two-hour drive, and I think it's an awesome city. If you were to challenge Jimmy Rye to a Lego building contest, and we all have the same Lego kit, let's say it's a Lego car or Lego Star Wars, who would you have better odds of beating? I feel like you because Jimmy seems more stable to me than you are. <laughs> I seem unstable. <laughs> 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 or is that, 
is that because of the Domino's phone thing? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you just you're like a uh, you know you're like a hundred pounds of energy in a in a soda can. <laughs> oh, that's classic. All right, Jimmy, there you go. You win again. I lose. <laughs> I never should have went with that Domino's phone thing. I actually, I thought I was going to get, the, I thought I was going to get the win because I'm the one with the five year old, and and therefore Lego is very much part of my world. And with your college kids, college age kids, my sense is Lego less popular. But um, Danny, Danny went with a reason that is equally good, which is uh, stability. I like him like a nut job. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe that would make you actually better at Legos, since you would probably build with the same pace that you talk. I feel like I, be, uh, he'd lose it. He'd lose interest in minutes. I think you chose you well. See me coffee. You, should, you, you chose well. Listen, Danny, we want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for sharing all your great insights. We really do appreciate uh, your hard work and everything you do for the industry. Um, I really have become a, a avid uh, reader of your stuff. I, I, I like I like your voice um, and and how you are um, really trying to be an ally to the industry and and get all these uh, insights out in your pieces. So really well done and 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 appreciate you and thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. If you want to get in touch with Danny directly, um, you can email the podcast team at podcast at brandedstrategic.com and we'll be happy to make the introduction uh and to our listeners we really want to thank you so much for taking the time to tune in with us uh, we know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there um and the fact that our subscriber count and our, our count is growing exponentially i think it's um, six now jimmy if i'm not if that's including if danny stays a subscriber he may not <laughs> may go over that to five hey danny before we go if, if how do we sign up to get all of your incredible work uh on Online. How do we sign up for the uh, the yeah. newsletter and all that stuff? What's the URL? Yeah, so qsrmagazine.com, fsrmagazine.com. Both of the, both of them have a subscribe uh, bar there at the top. If you just drop it down, you could. Is that breaking news, Jimmy? Uh sure. I think it's on their website. Breaking news: there is a subscriber <laughs> bar on top of the website at fsrmagazine.com. You heard it here first. Well, Jimmy, I no first, idea what the breaking. URL is, so you know, I got. I gotta direct people, but but to my earlier point, um, both things are free. And if you are an industry professional, you get the magazine for free. If you are not an industry professional, you could still sign up for all the e-letters, of which we have many of them. So excellent! You, you guys are givers. You're just givers. That's who you are. Yeah, um, yeah. And just you know, if you want to, and also I share everything on LinkedIn. That's the only social platform I really use. I don't believe in Twitter anymore. It's a cesspool of. Uh, hate at this moment in time um <laughs> and let's uh, not take this podcast to another area <laughs> let's stick to let's stick to qsrmagazine.com <laughs> subscribe there yeah please, i mean please do yeah we would definitely appreciate it uh, excellent jimmy who's our next guest who's our next all guest? right we want you to make sure you catch us next week we'll have mr scott gladstone senior vice president of strategy and, and, and innovation at dine brands that's a big thing danny mentioned him as his favorite person <laughs> oh we'll, we'll well, i was gonna say team. he is awesome so you know oh, here we go oh now he slipped it in there all right he got it in there we have talked right. in the past and he is great um we actually we we have a dime brand story coming out on monday fyi so beautiful all right we will be uh excited to have mr gladstone on next week all right Jimmy, and, we got to get going because we have to right. walk the trade show yep if you haven't done so already please subscribe to our podcast you don't miss out on any exciting guests coming up in the future and better yet invite a friend to hang out with us the next time until then you got jimmy frischling your finance guy with appreciation to mr danny klein passing it back to mr schatzberg and thank you, everybody. It's the restaurant guy, a.k.a. Shatsy, or Shatsy, a.k.a. restaurant guy, thanking everybody, Hospitality Hangout, and Denny Klein.
Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.